0: Well, every blessing to you all and welcome back to my open air pulpit. So may I wish everybody a very happy new year. I hope 2019 will be a wonderful year for all of you. If 2018 wasn't such a great year, if perhaps you went off the tracks, hit the buffers, or perhaps some of you have been backsliding, somewhat indifferent, lukewarm, maybe some of you have lost your first love. May I suggest you repent of such, confess your sins to the Lord and start all over again. One of the great things about our wonderful God is that he gives us multiple chances to return back into fellowship with him. And if you are interested in knowing, this will be my ninth year of coming up to the Open Air Pulpits on the 1st of January to hopefully be one of the first people to wish you all a very happy new year. Let's start today, if we may, and it's very mild it's around six degrees celsius bit of a wind but it's sunny it's crisp and you know me once i start something i always aim to finish so let's start if we may in second john and continue to some extent not just looking at the father the son and the Spirit, our wonderful triune god but take a closer look a slightly different look concerning the relationship uh, between the father and the son Second John let's begin if we may in verse 3 grace be with you mercy and peace from God the father and from the Lord Jesus Christ the son of the father in truth and love what a wonderful way to begin a new year's day video now the wind is picking up but as always I have begun so I must finish and here it opens with grace be with you and you know me when I Read the word grace, I like to interpret it to mean God's righteousness at Christ's expense, like imputation. How you are saved by your faith in Christ alone, without any works, without any church memberships, without any tithing, without speaking in tongues, it's all about the Lord. Grace be with you, mercy and peace, and we need mercy, we need mercy each and every day, Somebody once said they are waiting, they can't wait to arrive at the judgment seats of Christ. And I thought to myself this, well I'm in no hurry (laughs) to get to the uh, judgment seats of Christ. The Apostle Paul says how we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He says it's the terror of the Lord. And he says we will have to answer for things done in the body, whether evil or good. We have to explain ourselves to the Lord. And the greatest gift that we can get from the Lord Jesus Christ will be five crowns, keys, to your mansion and the ability to rule and reign with our wonderful god for 1000 years of course a flip side to that going back to what i said a few moments ago if you continue to backslide if you continue to stay in neutral remain in neutral and continue to hit the buffers continue to go off the tracks if that's your way of life now if that's what you do perpetually then may i suggest this that you are risking the loss of crowns the keys to your mansion and your privilege to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ in the millennial reign, and we'll discuss that more this morning. Grace be with you, mercy and peace, where the word peace denotes our standing as far as the Lord is concerned. Our standing is sinless perfection. When we died with the Lord Jesus Christ, when we were buried with the Lord Jesus Christ, when we were resurrected with the Lord Jesus Christ, all of our evilness, badness, all of our sins were left on the cross And all of his goodness, his greatness, his imputation, his sinlessness, was given to us. And therefore, when the Lord looks at us, he doesn't see yours truly, a saved sinner, for 17 years, would you believe? This year I've been saved 17 years, praise the Lord. But when he looks at me, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see James, he sees Jesus. And that's how it should be, imputation, you see. Also peace, the perfect peace, which passes all understanding, from God the Father person number one, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, person number two, the Son of the Father in truth and love. This description, Son of the Father, is only found once in the New Testaments. And let's go back, if we may, to the family analogy. Last time we spoke about a father, and he's got a couple of sons working with him, and they all share the same office, if you will, the same level of privileges. They all have access to the checkbook, the uh, safe, the combination to the safe. Let's slightly change it. Let's say you've got three brothers, three brothers all around the same age, and they all run the business as a family firm, brother A, brother B, brother C. <coughs> and on the top of their head of paper, it says just that, a family firm, brother A, B, and C. They all have access to the checkbook. They all have keys to the office. They all have access to the uh, the safe. They're all co-equal, and the minute I say that, you know what I'm referring to, a family unit, a close-knit family unit. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the scripture, every time God the Father is mentioned, and I mean every time that God the Father is mentioned, with the exception perhaps of one or two places, but every time that God the Father is mentioned in scripture, he's always mentioned first. Then... It's the Lord Jesus Christ, and then it's the Holy Ghost. But of course, you know that the Father and the Son, sometimes referred to as the Word of God, and the Spirits are all co-equal. And I spent three hours doing three videos at the end of last year showing you from the Scripture how the Father is eternal, how the Word of God is eternal, and how the Holy Ghost is eternal, and how they all share the same privileges, the same power, the same... uh, office if you will they're all co-equal partners in the creation of the world in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and in regenerating those of us which are saved but as always somebody has to go first if you think of a typical movie and I've already spoken about this in the past somebody's name will go on the screen first of all followed by somebody else's name followed by somebody else's name to get out of that Hollywood decided to put people's names up in alphabetical order And that went some way in dealing with people's ego. And now what you will occasionally see are names going up on the screen in groups of three, incidentally. Almost picturing subconsciously the Holy Ghost, the Father, of course, and the Word of God. But the term the Son of the Father, in truth and love, denotes Jesus Christ. And of course, in truth, refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. He would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, of course, love denotes his death on a cross, his resurrection from the dead, dying in your place. And every time I speak about substitutionary atonements, I am always conscious that a good number of people, not all, but a good number of people, don't like the idea of somebody doing something for them. I remember, years ago, I was speaking to a Muslim in Manchester, and he said this to me, he said, well, I don't want to have somebody doing something for me, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to answer for my own uh, crimes, my own sins, didn't use the word crimes, but they are crimes. He said, I want to answer for my own sins when I die, and I want to explain myself to God, and of course he meant Allah, meaning the God, and of course Satan is referred to as the God, from 2 Corinthians 4.4, and I thought, you fool! You want to stand in the presence of an eternal being, who never sinned, ever? He'll see straight through you. You want to give an account of yourself? To such a being, don't you want somebody to represent you? I mean, imagine going to the Old Bailey in London. Imagine being prosecuted. And you arrive at the Old Bailey, and you've got all the QCs there. They are Queen's Counselors. They are the best barristers, the best lawyers in the land. At least they're supposed to be. Imagine arriving at the Old Bailey. You've got a judge of say 35 years' experience, and you've got this prosecuting barrister, prosecuting uh, lawyer, a top QC he just wipe the floor with you. And you say to yourself this, well, I'm going to speak for myself. I'm going to argue my own case. I can deal with the QC in question. Never mind, he's got a Oxbridge background. He's pretty much won every case he's prosecuted. And he's been able to, also in every case concerning his defence of his uh, clients. And you arrive in court, the old Bailey, with the belief, the insane belief that somehow you can speak to the judge, and vicariously the jury, and explain your case. I mean, the Old Bailey is the highest court in the land, and i put it to you this way, that if you, were to, if you were to do such a thing, within five minutes of arriving, they'd wipe the floor with you. They would say, look at this novice, look at this amateur, he's going to come into the Old Bailey, and he honestly thinks he can speak for himself put a spin on things. You want somebody to represent you. You want someone like George Carman, or a fictitious character, Perry Mason or Kavanagh QC. You want somebody who knows what they're doing to represent you. Somebody who knows the judge, first of all, that would be helpful. And somebody who knows the prosecuting barrister, the prosecuting attorney. He may have gone to Oxbridge with such a person. He probably knows the judge personally. He's been in the courts of that judge for many years and you get a professional lawyer professional qc to represent you well of course for those of us which are saved we have the best barrister we have the lord jesus christ grace be with you mercy and peace picturing your standing in the lord and also picturing your state you may not be in the best standing as far as the lord is concerned or as far as mankind is concerned again when you got saved Almighty God looked at your heart, and he saw whether or not your heart was right, he saw whether or not you really believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you really did believe on him, he saved you, and he keeps you saved. Now you are saved unto good works, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and those good works are seen by your peers. And one of the first things you should do if you are saved is to get baptised, if possible, by total immersion, so people can see that you are identified with the Lord Jesus Christ, And then once you are baptised, it won't save you, of course, but it shows others that you mean business, that you buried the old nature in a spiritual sense and have been resurrected with the Lord Jesus Christ in a spiritual state. It means it shows people that you mean business. People can watch that, see that, and get a blessing, and maybe get convicted as well. But the term I'm really interested in here is the reference to the Son of the Father. The Son of the Father. And this leads into the subject of when was jesus christ begotten now there's really just two views when it comes to when was he begotten or how should we understand the doctrine of christ's incarnation the first position is referred to as incarnational incarnational sonship and the second view is uh described as uh, eternal generation now eternal generation and incarnational sonship bit of a mouthful so bear with me (laughs) these two descriptions are both very different, of course, and have been held up by many theologians over the years to try and understand exactly when the Lord Jesus Christ was begotten. Now, Of course, you know the term begotten means to give birth to. And the moment you think of the Father being God Almighty and the Son being God Almighty, you can't help but think of a father and son relationship. If you have a father, I have a father, or if you've had a father, you know that your father was obviously born before you were, and your father was and still is superior to you to some extent, if you go back to the ancient world. Every case that I can ever think of and have, and have ever thought of, when it comes to a king, for example, giving birth to one of his sons like David, or King James, and incidentally I just wrote about him for our newsletter, it was uh, put online yesterday, so read it and you'll get a blessing. When James's firstborn son was born, Henry, the Prince of Wales, James didn't say, that's it, I'm all finished, I now retire, I am now in submission to my son. No, King David was the king until his death. And incidentally, as far as James was concerned, Charles I was the king to replace him. And of course, we know all about Charles I and Cromwell. But if you think of Chinese dynasties or Japanese dynasties, you may have the exception the very rare exception when a king witnessed the birth of his firstborn son perhaps bowing out that's pretty rare go back to the bible david or saul or solomon or any of the kings back in the old testament they had multiple sons especially david and solomon but david especially and when david saw the birth of solomon when solomon was born david didn't say that's it I'm now out of the picture. David was still the king until he died. In fact, even before he died, he handed over the keys to the kingdom to Solomon. And, of course, Solomon would naturally replace King David. But we think of the Father, God the Father, and we think of the Son, God the Son. We have to think to ourselves this, or we should ask ourselves the question, what does that actually mean? What does it mean when we speak about God the Father or God the Son? again a father is born first obviously then the son comes later and the son is always in submission to his father when King Henry was born to James and Anne he was still the son's king but he wasn't over the king he was in submission to the king so the term incarnational sonship deals with the belief that when christ was begotten how the word became flesh john chapter 1 and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten son of god full of grace and truth so and so forth when he was begotten when the word of god was begotten or when the word of god took on human form the belief is that at that moment referred to again as incarnational sonship the word becomes the son of god and he becomes Just that, the Son of God. The other position is eternal generation or eternal sonship. Now, around 15 or 16 years ago, or thereabouts, John MacArthur had a change of heart. For many years, John MacArthur was of the belief that Jesus Christ was begotten in time. Because the Word of God says, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. That's found three times in the Scripture. Once in the Old Testament, twice in the New and quite rightly when macarthur saw that and he got a few things right and that may have been one of them he said to himself well christ must have been begotten in time because this day have i begotten thee is speaking about a point in time there was a point in time when the triune god created the heavens the earth the solar system so and so forth and then begins to create planet earth the animals probably the angels as well, and mankind. And there was a point in time when the Father, Son and Spirit said, now is a time for the Word of God to enter into the human race. Now is the time for the Word of God, at that time the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of the world. And now is the time for the Son of God to be resurrected from the dead. And in the future, now is a time for the Lord Jesus Christ to, number one, rapture his church, number to return seven years later to rule and reign for one thousand years these are points in time and the calvinists and many others don't like the idea of incarnational sonship that christ was begotten in time they feel that somehow demotes him it doesn't really but they believe it nonetheless so what they do is they say well let's hold to another view let's say he was begotten in eternity past now, that doesn't make any sense because eternity past and eternity future is obviously outside of time. There's no beginning, there's no end. But to get around the issue of Christ being begotten in time, like the Word of God becoming the Son of God, they have to have Christ begotten in eternity past. And, of course, the third view, which is a compromise, a bit of a fudge, is to spiritualize it and say that Jesus Christ wasn't actually begotten as such, it's figurative language. And of course, if you start to spiritualize the Incarnation, concerning if he was begotten in time, or before time, where else do you draw the line? And that's why a lot of people don't believe in the millennial reign of Christ either. They spiritualize that. They can't understand, they can't comprehend, why the Lord is going to re-implement the sacrifices, animal sacrifices, during the thousand years, ...of Christ on the earth... ...they don't like the idea of that... ...nor the third temple... ...revelation chapter 11... ...and they say well that must be spiritual language... ...and they force... ...revelation 11 to become spiritual... ...they say well our bodies are the temple... ...of the Holy Ghost... ...1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6... ...and of course they miss out on a great blessing... ...they miss out on the millennial reign... ...and also they miss out on... ...one of the blessings for living holy... ...because if you don't live holy... ...after you are saved... If you don't turn more all of your sins after you are saved and continue to put the old man to death after you are saved and yield to the Holy Ghost after you are saved, then crowns will be lost. You may forfeit your right to rule and reign. In fact, it's not even a right. It's a privilege. It's not a right. It's a privilege. You may forfeit your privilege to rule and reign and therefore they spiritualize the millennial reign and also the rapture and other wonderful subjects and miss out on a great blessing. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father, person number one, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, person number two, the Son of the Father, a unique relationship in truth and love. So straight away you see there's a close relationship, a father and a son, and David was close to Solomon, very close. Many of the dynasties from China and Japan, and also Great Britain, going back to King James, he was very close to Henry, his firstborn son. Many Brits thought that Sir Henry was the unofficial, in fact he was the official, but they thought he was the unofficial king in waiting. A lot of Brits were waiting for James to die, for Henry to replace him. And tragically, Henry died young, and that would knock King James, uh, knock him for six, as we say in the UK, completely... Uh, destroyed him, and that was the beginning of the end for King James. Let's keep reading on. Look at verse 7, please. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And that's just what it means. Many, not some, many. <coughs> the Lord Jesus Christ would say, How many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, done many wonderful works in thy name, cast out devils? In thy name, and what did he say to them? Congratulations, let me shake your hand, welcome to heaven. No, he doesn't say that. He said, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you that workers, you that practice iniquity, you workers of iniquity. But he condemns them. He condemns such people, he doesn't congratulate them. But that term, I never knew you, deals with one's intimacy with the Savior. Back in the Old Testament, it says, Cain knew his wife means it means he had a relationship with her intercourse with her when the lord says i never knew you it means i didn't know you in a close sense and in in a intimate sense i knew of you of course because i'm omnipresent omniscient and omnipotent but i didn't know you in the sense that a father knows his son again the same terminology this is my beloved son hear ye him very proud of him so on and so forth and therefore, it says, for many deceivers, not some, but many, <coughs> excuse me, many deceivers are entered into the world, going back to the days of the Apostle John, going back to the days of the Apostle Paul. It wasn't just after the Apostles died that things started to go south, things were starting to go south during the life of the Apostles. And the Jews were coming around, saved Jews, criticizing Paul for being close to the Gentiles putting pressure on simon peter to not sit with the gentiles going back to a two-class system you see and simon peter started to buckle and when paul got wind that he put the whip to him in a spiritual sense of course many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that jesus christ has come in the flesh this is a deceiver and an antichrist <coughs> so in the context you've got the Gnostics. In the mind of the Apostle John, they didn't like the idea that God could take on human form. Like the Jews don't like the idea that God could take on human form. Like the Muslims don't like the idea that God could take on human form. And the Muslims especially like to say, well, God doesn't have a son. And well, that's true, Allah doesn't have a son, because Allah is not the everlasting, eternal God. If you want, He's the God of this world. And like I said a few moments ago from uh, 2 Corinthians 4:4, the God." Of this world is of course the devil but here they don't confess that jesus christ has come in the flesh also denoting his deity like jehovah manifest in the flesh let's really get down to business jehovah manifest in the flesh el gabor manifest in the flesh elohim el shaddai manifest in the flesh adonai manifest in the flesh that's where the jews took up stones to throw at him John chapter 10, because thou, being a man, son of man, makest thyself out to be God, son of God, co-equal with the Father, you see. Look to yourselves, verse 8, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward, judgment seat of Christ. Most Christians don't like the idea of the judgment seat of Christ. (coughs) And they say this, well, the judgment seat of Christ... It's the same as a great white throne judgment and of course it's not and here john is speaking about what to do when someone comes into your orbit with another gospel paul told you that such another gospel was an accursed gospel from galatians chapter one and he told you from second corinthians make that first corinthians excuse me first corinthians uh, chapter 16 from memory he said uh, if anyone doesn't love the lord jesus christ let him be anathema maranatha let them be accursed maranatha how about that first corinthians chapter 16 look to yourselves save people that we lose not those things which we have wrought worked for again you're saved unto good works (coughs) exodus uh, excuse me, not exodus uh ephesians chapter 2 in fact join me this coming sunday as i continue to work through the book of exodus But that we, body of Christ, uh, receive a full reward. Five crowns, that's the most you can get. Keys to the kingdom, keys to your mansion, more specifically. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you, so on and so forth. And also the ability to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth, with angels in submission to you. I mean, who wants to miss out on that? Who in their right mind wants to miss out on that and yet the stakes are so high look at verse 9 whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of christ hath not god he that abideth in the doctrine of christ he hath both the father and the son two people father and the son two personal masculine pronouns you say i don't understand the trinity well first of all you weren't told to understand it so what do most people do that don't understand it's not all but what most What do most people do? Well, They either spiritualize it, or they reject the trinity altogether and become guilty of modalism. That God is not three persons, like three distinct persons, but three parts. And they say this, that God the Father's body is the Lord Jesus Christ, His Spirit is the Holy Ghost, and He is the soul. That's what they believe. That is modalism. That's not Bible. That's a concept of man. And again, people say, well, the Catholic Church holds to the Trinity, so I suggest we throw it out. Listen, one more time, if I may. Just because the Church of Rome believe in the Trinity, the virgin birth, the second coming, the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the miracles, the New Testament being 27 books, just because they agree with us, let's be quite clear, they agree with us, we don't agree with them. The the, uh, Catholic Church came much later, like 4th, 5th century, just because they believe what we believe, just because they agree with what we believe in and accept and receive, doesn't mean that we should throw it out. Because they hold to such beliefs and doctrines. Don't be so foolish. All this paranoia going on at the moment, all these wars going on concerning Brian Denlinger, And Stephen Anderson arguing, fighting over the Trinity, and the timing of the rapture, wanting to be top dog in the King James community, that's what this is all about. And these proxy wars that are taking place, their disciples fighting each other, posting videos against each other. This is what the devil wants, he wants to allow these people to become more and more vicious, more and more argumentative. And for those of us which are saved, for those of us which know we are saved, we don't want to get caught up in these battles. Let me say this to you. If you've got time in your hands, if you are born again and you've got time in your hands, use that venom that you have. Use that backbone, if you want to call it that. Use that energy. That's a better word. Use that energy that you've got to go onto the streets and preach the gospel. Get the word of God out to unsaved people. This spiritual slaughter, which is doing the rounds all over the internet and has done for the last maybe three or four years now, it's disgracing Almighty God. And some of you people are really getting into it, aren't you? If you people have got time in your hands, if you people feel you have something to say, take it to the highways and the byways. Get the word of God out. Preach the gospel. Get people saved. The Lord Jesus Christ isn't going to congratulate you as to the continual backbiting and these feuds, all based on jealousy, incidentally. And yes, we are to contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And yes, we are to rebuke heretics. Absolutely. I made a video at the end of last year against Jesse Lee Peterson for our new channel, 2020. Eyes to see and ears to hear. And I'll put a link in the description box if you haven't seen that video and if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel please do so please take the notification box but I don't spend all of my time chasing after heretics and blasphemers I go into the streets I speak to people I try and get people saved that's what you should be doing some of your brothers you spend all your time online attacking this person or that person And you very rarely have ever give out tracts and you never preach the gospel on the streets. I've never seen some of you brothers street preaching either. I'd love to see it sometime. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. What is the doctrine of Christ? Well basically how he has already died for all of your past, present and future sins. He is the Lamb of God. He's the only person that will ever truly love you and cover all of your sins. What would John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Your church can't do that. Your favourite YouTuber can't do that. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can do that. Hath not God. So therefore, the inference is pretty clear that if you haven't got the Son of God or the doctrine of Christ, you're not saved. Going back to Romans chapter 8, if the Spirit of God doesn't live inside of you, you're none of His. You're an unsaved, empty vessel. You might be very religious, you may be a member of a church, (coughs) you may be associated with ministries, you may be the most religious person in your town. But again, if you haven't got the doctrine of Christ and transgresseth, in other words, you haven't yet appropriated the atonement, you haven't got Christ unsaved, but he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath, present tense, both the father and the son. Look at verse 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Don't even shake his hand. Someone like Jesse, for example, who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God. For he that biddeth him Godspeed as partaker of his evil deeds, guilt by association. Now There are many subjects that we don't always understand as saved people. We can get things wrong. We can deviate from... Uh, classical christianity and temporarily step out and become guilty of heresy and it's my belief that a good number of heretics know they are wrong but they can't stop digging the ditch because pride's got a hold of them so what do they do they keep on digging but they know that they're wrong because they're born against some of these people and yes technically a heretic can be a saved person because a person wasn't saved to be a heretic or when that person first got saved They weren't a heretic you can drift into heresy if they come any unto you and bring not this doctrine going back to the doctrine of christ verse 9 receive him or her not into your house don't open the door and also this is a great verse to deal with the jehovah's witnesses don't ever have them into your home if you can speak on the doorstep to them they are bringing a poisonous gospel to you another gospel another jesus another spirit Neither bid him Godspeed. Don't say, Well, God bless you, or God go with you, the Lord look over you, sort of a thing. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So it's guilt by association. That's what it comes down to guilt by association. And it may be that one of the reasons why Brian Dellinger is attacking the Trinity so much is because Stephen Anderson is pro the Trinity. And one of the reasons why he's attacking the trinity so much is because the church of rome holds to the trinity but they also hold to the virgin birth and yet i've heard nothing from brian concerning the virgin birth or the second coming of the lord jesus christ of course they don't hold to the rapture stephen anderson is now anti the rapture he's now post-tribulational and i wonder if he's even premillennial. he hates israel so much that he's lost himself a wonderful blessing And just for the record, yes, I am premillennial, and I am a Zionist. I make no bones about it. I'm pro-Israel. I'm pro their right to the land of Israel. I've always been premillennial, and I've always stood by Israel's right to the land. I have nothing to do with Anderson's attacks against the Jews or Israel. But I wonder, if he is premillennial, I'm not sure that he is or not, but if he is premillennial, how does he get around the 144,000 from the book of Revelation? You got 144,000 saved Jewish men that are going to be mobilised. Did you spiritualise that? Going back to eternal generation. Did you say that Jesus Christ was eternally begotten? In fact, I saw one of his videos uh, before Christmas where he says that Jesus Christ has always had a body and a soul and a spirit. I thought, really? So the Word of God has always had a body, a soul, and a spirit. go to psalm 45 psalm 45 i said it was uh, mild when i first came up here i now need to revise that it's pretty cold it's uh, very stormy but it's okay like i said i've been saved 17 years now and i've been up here doing far worse uh new year's days new year days new year's days let me get that right i've been up here for the last nine years doing this And the purpose is quite simply to encourage all of you to keep on going. It says gospel, it says God, it says go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Be ready in season and out of season. And I think a lot of people, a lot of the crowd online that we've just spoken about, have got a lot of time on their hands. And they are being driven by jealousy. Who's top dog? Who's in charge of the King James movement? That's what it comes down to. Is it Anderson? Is it Denlinger? Is it this person? Is it that person? And they are fighting amongst themselves, like the Church of Rome did for centuries. Is it this Pope or is it that Pope? Is it the Jesuits being the Black Pope? Or is it the Pope of Rome, Bishop of Rome being the White Pope? Who's in charge? Who's top dog? This is what 1 Corinthians is all about. Some of you say you are of the house of Chloe. Some of you say you are of the house of Apollos. Some of you say you are of the house of Paul and Peter. But was Paul crucified for you? Was Peter crucified for you? Was Apollos crucified for you? You see? The Lord Jesus Christ was crucified for you. Psalm 45 Psalm 45, a wonderful passage to denote the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and let me say this to you that whether or not you hold to incarnation or sonship, how Christ was begotten in time or eternal generation, how he was begotten in eternity past, doesn't take away the fact that he is still God Almighty. The issue comes down to when was he begotten, it's either in time, before time. Or if you can't handle either one of those two uh, points, you spiritualize it. And like I say, when you do that, you miss out on a great blessing. Psalm 45, look at verse 6, if you will. Thy throne, O God, is for ever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows thy throne o god david is speaking thy throne o god is forever and ever david is writing but here he's also quoting the words from no doubt uh, god the father the scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness not many religious people outside of the lord jesus christ could, could claim such a thing When I look back on uh, world history and religions in general, most of the religious leaders have been savages. Concubines, sex slaves, vicious warlords. Also into idolatry, and I spent the last three Sundays studying the sin of idolatry, going through the book of Exodus. And join me this coming Sunday, please, as I look at the third commandment, dealing with blasphemy. A lot of blasphemers around today as well, Blaspheme the nature of God. Thou lovest righteousness, and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God... Did you see that? Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. He has anointed you. He has given you an anointing. Jesus means Jehovah saves. Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. Lord denotes his deity. And here David is speaking around, what, 1000 B.C.? I think it is David from memory. I think he wrote the first 72 psalms from memory. I may be slightly wrong when I say that, but the writer, I'll say that just to be on the safe side, the writer from Psalm 45 is dealing with a subject, a conversation, concerning the Father and the Son. Isaiah records 7, and he wrote his uh, book, what, 700 B.C.? Thy throne, O God, is for ever and ever. The sceptre of thy kingdom is a right sceptre. Thou lovest righteousness, and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. From John 21, when the Lord came up out of the tomb, he met Mary Magdalene, and he said, Stop grabbing me. Let go of me. I haven't yet ascended up to my Father and your Father, my God, and your God, and many Muslims like to quote that, uh, and say, so Jesus had a God? Yes, he had a God. Uh, In the Incarnation, it appears to me that, first of all, he would empty himself, uh, Philippians chapter 2, took upon him the form of a servant, was in submission to his Father, and next video, Lord willing, we'll look at the subject of submission, ...subordination between the Father and the Son... ...and at that point, post the uh, resurrection... ...he's in his glorified state... ...and the fear was this... ...that if she continued to hold on to him... ...and she was really holding on to him... ...if she carried on grabbing grabbing him... ...she could have been transformed, in a sense... uh, ...to be in that state forever... ...going back to Adam and Eve... ...kick him out of the garden... ...if they take of the tree of life they will live forever in their fallen states. They may have been saved, we don't know, but imagine being on the, on the earth indefinitely in your physical body. You want a glorified body, don't you? And therefore Adam and Eve were kicked out of Eden because it is a point on a man wants to die, but after the judgment, they had to die, be judged and get glorified bodies. If they were saved, we don't know. And for Mary Magdalene, grabbing onto christ not letting go of him it seems to be that she could have been transformed in a way that we don't quite understand to be forever like that on the earth saved woman of course she was but with a human body indefinitely but he says don't keep grabbing onto me let go of me i haven't yet ascended to my father picturing god the father and again isaiah chapter 9 says how jesus christ is the Son of God, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, not God the Father, not God the Father. Jesus Christ is the Everlasting Father in reference to Israel as their Messiah, you see. Don't keep holding on to me, Mary, because I'm not yet ascended to my Father. You have to